2: We're out here in San Francisco uncovering all things tech and innovation. Hey, listen, other people want to make friends with trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you, and put all of this out here into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After a day where the averages opened hideous and then roared higher. Dow gaining 116 points, S&P rising 0.68%, NASDAQ falling 1.13%, we got to talk about what's making this market tick, because it is just nutty. Right now, we're ruled by tariffs and trade, with the Federal Reserve at last playing second fiddle, but not diminished entirely. So when we get weak weak retail sales numbers like we had today, freaking people out and triggering a ton of short selling at the opening, it sets the stage for a terrific romp once we learn mid-morning that the president's auto tariffs might be delayed, implying right here, Right here, this is what caused it, implying that the president may be trying to put global pressure on China, giving him the upper hand in these on-again, off-again trade talks. Bingo! Look at that. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through what happened in this crazy session, because it is a perfect encapsulation of the new normal. So let's go to the tape. First, we got that feeble retail sales number I mentioned from the Commerce Department is down 0.2%. Hey, that's the second decline in three months. Widespread weakness, and get this, autos, home centers, and internet stores. It's downright ugly. Immediately, interest rates plummeted. It was incredible. See, we don't really want to see that because it says the economy might be going to recession. But, you know, the benchmark 10-year Treasury now has a 2.37% yield, and that's the lowest of the year. That's extraordinary. Remember, just six months ago, Fed Chief Jay Powell was worried about the economy overheating. Then he ratcheted up interest rates one time too many, and now we've got these negative retail sales to deal with. That retail number led to a rough opening. But just when it looked like the averages were going to give up yesterday's gains, the White House leaked that Trump's thinking about not putting any tariffs on imported cars. Given that he was expected to hit them with a 25% duty any minute, it was a major positive, and so the market screamed higher. Just when the Dow Jones average was about to roll over, he saved it again. He's the Houdini of the Dow Jones average. Now, I can't emphasize the importance of this leak news. In one fell swoop, Trump went from being a hated, protectionist, know-nothing, to someone who might be cleverly assembling a coalition of the willing in the trade war against the Chinese, at least in the eyes of Wall Street. Of course, we have no idea if that's really the case. I mean, maybe Trump just didn't want the Dow to roll over. You know how he watches the Dow. Either way, with those auto tariffs on hold for Japan and Europe, euphoric buyers stepped in, picking up the stocks of, of, of tech companies with big European business. Yes, Facebook and Alphabet. Now, don't forget about those retail sales numbers that cause bond yields to plummet. Suddenly, stocks with safe, consistent dividends look a lot more attractive. So buyers flock to the Kimberly Clarks and the Pepsicos, the Proctors and the Coca-Colas. Plus, these weak numbers mean there's no way the Fed can tighten anytime soon. I think it's counterproductive when the president publicly bashes j Powell for taking interest rates too high. It makes it harder for Powell to change course without appearing to compromise the Fed's independence. But Trump's not wrong we'd be in better shape if the Fed would give us a rate cut. After these numbers, it would be justified. It was obviously a painful mistake to raise when Powell did, but no one can ever admit to that. Although you can bet that Trump will be running against Powell and the Chinese in his 2020 election bid. Here's the thing about this kind of environment. It's perfect for companies that don't need a strong economy to make the numbers. In the old days, the biggest winners were just FANG. That was our acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet. And all of those stocks roared higher today. Half of it led the charge, by the way. Numbers may be too low there. Even Apple came charging back after opening down a couple of bucks. Why not? If the president's really playing nice with the Japanese and the Europeans, that gives them a stronger hand with China, and Apple's less likely to get hit with tariffs from both sides, or even a boycott. These days, we also round up the usual suspects. We have a whole cohort of the cloud kings that you've heard me name over and over again. They become go-to names. When people are worried about an economic slowdown, well, the cloud is a secular winner, meaning companies keep investing in this money-saving software even when business slows down. So Workday, Splunk, VMware, Twilio, and Adobe jump high because people expect this to slow the economy. You want to buy those stocks to slow the economy. Hey, by the way, smaller cloud players like the Trade Desk, which you spoke to yesterday, they skyrocketed too. TTD rallied nearly, I don't know if you saw TTD last night on the show, but this stock rallied nearly 8%. But you know what? That should never have been down to begin with. What else? Money flowed into the financial technology plays, of course. They came into PayPal and they went into Square and Visa. Also MasterCard from the laggard bank stocks. That's always the trend. Today, though, the rally had a special twist to it. We know that anything healthcare has been in the doghouse courtesy of the Democratic presidential candidates, most of whom support single payer. Regardless of how you feel about Medicare for all, I can guarantee you that the health insurance companies and Big Pharma are not, not at all Far. Uh, let's just say these stocks surge because they're precisely what works in a slowing economy. They're the right. They're the right cohort. There's only one skunk in the party. The actual catalyst for this move. Retail. Macy's reported a bit huge beat this morning. And initially, the stock looked like it might rally two points. But then-CEO Jeff Gannett told his department store, said that his department stores could be vulnerable to tariffs on furniture, and then the stock gave back all it gains, and then some. Remember, Ralph Ralph Lauren got crushed yesterday because they mentioned their made-in-China sweaters and footwear will be hurt. Macy's went a step further. Gannett said his forecast is predicated on there being no additional tariff increases. Given that President Trump now seems to link his popularity to his China bashing, I think that's a sucker's bet. we got tariffs on 40% of our imports to the People's Republic, and Trump's already talking about going after the other 60%. If that happens, the analysts will have to slash their estimates on this one. Macy's won't be alone. Almost every retailer has some exposure because they've spent decades sourcing their merchandise from Chinese vendors in order to keep costs down. Now that's pulling up in their faces. As Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, recently told us, you can't just flip a switch and move to Vietnam overnight. It takes time and money. As I stare out the windows here in San Francisco, all I can tell you is I see gigantic cargo ships with sometimes up to 20,000 containers on a clip. And I know most of those containers are come from Cambodia, Thailand, or Bangladesh. Honestly, the retailer's best bet might be to start sourcing from Mexico. Although if Mexico ends up being the big winner from our trade war with China, that would be some real cosmic irony. One last thought. We're seeing far more of a united front on the tariffs than I expected even a few weeks ago. Many executives and economists, of course, and commentators, they're big believers in free trade. Yet Lloyd Blankfein, former CEO of Goldman Sachs, tweeted this morning, that the tariffs might be a necessary evil. Tom Friedman, a guy who's made a career out of promoting the virtues of globalization, found himself in a love fest with Steve Bannon, the former Trump advisor, who styles himself as an economic nationalist on Squawk Box this morning because they think tariffs are the only way to make China play by the rules. Let's say that's a very unlikely pair. To me, these represent tectonic shifts in the Wall Street consensus. I think it gives Trump a much better bargaining position versus the Chinese, and it certainly gave us higher stock prices. The bottom line. I Man, we got a weird combination of tailwinds today. Some bad retail data boosted the slowdown stocks and blew wind in the sales of the rapid growers like the cloud kings and the classic defenses like the consumer packaged goods place. At the same time, Trump easing up on trade with China and Japan, gave many other stocks a new lease on life. Hey, turns out we can get good news, too. And some days like today, the stock market actually makes sense. Who knew? Let's talk to Riley and Georgia. Riley! yeah, Dr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Just want to let you know, you are the GOAT, sir. You are the GOAT. Well, oh, man, graceful, um, time. Watch out. That's patented by Muhammad Ali. Let's go. Let's go to work. <laughs>
3: um, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I know lately, though, with the market being the way it is, that you've said that 10% of your portfolio should be in gold. Do you think right. it should be more than that now? And if so, do you think Barrett Gold's a good option?
2: Uh, look, I, I think that back, look, you're being, you're, uh, it's Dr. Mark Bristow that runs that company. He is terrific. I think it's a great chin you want to do that, you can do the GLD, you can do bullion. I'm going to recommend all of those for at least 10% of your portfolio, because I believe in gold, particularly in crazy times, like now. Martian, in Texas, Marcia.
1: Well, hi, Jim. I'm a
4: stockholder of DWDP, and I'd like a heads up on their reverse stock split. And what does this mean for the stock?
2: Okay, uh, first, thank you for that question. All I'm going to tell you is, is that this company splitting into two. Uh, both businesses are not doing well. Uh, it's a holding of my travel trust. I'm not happy with how it's doing. I understand that after the companies break up, maybe there'll be more value created. But it has been uh, down 16%, nothing short of, yes, a disaster. All right, who would have thought the good news may actually be real? And the market made some sense today i am money tonight. It's one of the best money or growth stories I follow, and it's bankable executives join me tonight, fresh off the report. Don't miss my exclusive with Cisco. And Trump has decided that China is failing and he won't relent. I'll tell you what it means for companies here at home. And as more and more people become cord cutters or even cord nevers, I'm talking to the CEO of a company that is the biggest beneficiary of the trend. Do not miss my sit down with the red hot Roku and stay with Kramer.
5: Cisco is on a journey to go from hardware to a company that puts the IT in agility. The stock is climbing, but should hungry investors turn to Cisco for their taste of tech? So far, 2019
2: has been the year of Cisco. You know I've been a huge believer in this story for a long time. Under the leadership of CEO Chuck Robbins, which has just been completely exemplar, the networking hardware Kingpin has increasingly embraced software, especially for security, the cloud, and the Internet of Things. This show, it feels like everyone has become a believer as the stock has surged up 21% year-to-date, even if it's pulled back a little bit from its recent highs. Now, tonight, Cisco reported and the company delivered a top- and bottom-line beat robust guidance for next quarter. Is it enough? Let's check in with Chuck Robbins, the chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems. Special treat here, Kelly Kramer, the chief financial officer. Learn more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Robbins, Ms. Kramer, welcome back to have Money.
3: Hey, Jim, thanks for having us today. We appreciate it. All
2: right. Of course. Now, Chuck, even though the world's become a tougher place, I know, since we talked last, I saw a nice reacceleration in business, in orders. Talk about the the transformation, because it seems like it's even getting better in terms of of software versus hardware.
3: Well, you know, Jim, we have uh, obviously we're very proud of what our team's accomplished this past quarter, and we've been on this journey to increase the percentage of our business that comes from software, and even implementing subscriptions on top of our core networking portfolio, which has gone incredibly well. So whether you look at our collaboration portfolio, our security portfolio, or even our core networking portfolio, we have drastically increased the percentage of software in our business. And uh, and we've also driven a, a ton of innovation that obviously our customers are uh, are really believing in right now. So we're really pleased with what we've been able to do. All right, Kelly, I also know that uh, the expense control has been incredible and the gross margins continue to go
2: up. One (laughs) percent expense growth is pretty amazing. How are you spinning off much more cash than I thought at this point? How are you able to do that?
4: I think the whole business is focused on driving the bottom line in addition to driving accretive growth and, and cash-rich businesses. So everyone's focused on driving – you know, it's why you see the shift to software. It's it's high margin, falls through to cash, and we're very disciplined around the portfolio management of where we're investing our, our dollars. So I think the whole business is focused on that, and you're seeing it come out in the cash flow.
3: And she just runs a tight ship It's <laughs> bottom line, Jim. <laughs>
2: I know she knows. That's why I'm glad that she's with us. Kelly, I also saw that uh, you're beginning to see the gross margin gains that come from DRAM coming down. This looked like the first quarter that's really impacted, but I have to believe, given where they are, that's the first of many.
4: Yeah, no, that's a great point. DRAM did turn around to become a tailwind for us, like we expected. And given where the prices are right now, we definitely see this for the next couple quarters uh, really helping and being a a tailwind for us. So yeah, we're excited to uh, start to see that benefit after many quarters of being such a big headwind.
2: All right. Now, Chuck, uh, I see the Americas up nine, uh, euro up five. I see Asia Pacific down four. and I know some of that's got to be China. I want to put China in perspective. While China may have been weak for you, I'm going to ask you about that. How much does it really matter to the overall pastiche of what you got going?
3: Well, I mean, we, we've talked about it, Jim. China is only about three percent of our business. So obviously we don't want any aspect of our business to be down, but uh, it, it is a small portion. So the, uh, the revenue numbers that you just cited were really Uh, you know, mostly related to China. Uh, As we look at our order run rate for the quarter, we were really pleased with, you know, around the world, our global public sector business was up 10%, our global enterprise business was up 9%, and our global commercial business was up 5%. So the only area of weakness is the same area that we've seen from other uh, competitors and what we've heard about in the press, which was our service provider business, it was down actually double digits in orders uh, this past quarter. But the rest of the portfolio, the rest of our business, actually is doing really well. Well, there are come a time when we don't uh, have to worry so much about
2: service uh, provider revenue because of the uh, preponderance of subscription revenue that you've got going.
3: Well, I think tell even today you when us. you see the... It's a hard question, I know. <laughs> No, the the magnitude of of the uh, you know the service provider business being down this quarter, I think, on an orders basis, and and still our guidance was in line. I think does reflect the transition in the business model and the other aspects of the business. I mean, service provider capex last quarter was down across the world almost twenty percent. Uh, so it's uh, it's obviously a, a very stressed part of the business. Kelly, any comments?
4: No, I think you hit right on it.
3: All right. So, Kelly,
2: I know that uh, when I look at the share count, it's drastically reduced. You continue to buy a lot of stock. You bought stock, a lot of stock at the 52 level. How do you do that buyback? Because you've got you you did the repatriation, but it seems like you're in there every day. If the stock were to drop to, say, 48, 49, would you be more aggressive?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been buying back a lot We're you know, now that we got tax reform, we've been aggressively trying to reduce our share count. But we're smart about it. We're opportunistic when we see the market take dips. That, the only part that's happy about that for me is I can buy a lot of stock at a lower price. So we try to uh, buy, obviously, at the lowest points. You know, obviously, there's a lot of momentum behind the stock that's been driving it up over the last six months. But, uh, you know, we're smart about it being opportunistic.
2: All right. hey Chuck, if I were to look at your security business, which is now buried within a very large company that is growing – Much faster than it used to. How big is that security business if I compare to, say, CyberArk, to uh, to Palo Alto, to to Fortinet? These are all very good companies. Is your business larger than theirs?
3: Well, Jim, uh, you know, on the call today, we actually said that our enterprise security business, we are the largest cybersecurity provider to enterprises around the world and obviously growing at 21% and it has a massive software content and it's very much subscription based and i think that you know the architecture that we put together is resonating with our customers when you can see threats across you know the continuum of the of the modern enterprise and then actually defend dynamically from the cloud to the endpoint to email to the network i mean that's what they're looking for and in today's world with The dynamic movement of data and applications, that's what you have to do. And I think the architecture that our teams have built is resonating with our customers.
2: I also just kind of ritualistically have to ask, what happens to you guys? I know, Kelly, I'm sure you've had to cover this uh, with Chuck. What happens under a scenario where there's another $300 billion that gets a uh, bump up to 25% in tariff? The impact on you guys? Okay, well,
4: yeah, I mean, if that happens, it's every single import, right? So, again, the reason we've been able to uh, to mitigate the, the list that we're currently mitigating at the 25% is it's only been a portion of our of uh, the business. If it goes to all China imports, it's not going to only impact us, but it's going to impact every industry out there. So, you know, we'll adjust. We'll continue, as always, to have a very agile supply chain, and we're moving very quickly, which has allowed us to, uh, again, mitigate the effects so far. But that would have a much bigger impact if it does go to all
3: imports. Yeah, Jim, I'll tell you, I'm proud of well, the team, because a uh, Last week, obviously, we got the indication that the tariffs were going to go to 25%. They did on Friday morning. Within 48 hours, our team had executed on everything we needed to execute on to, uh, to, to take care of it. So it's behind us, and uh, it's relatively immaterial at this point based on all the work our teams have done, and it's uh, built into our guidance. So uh, great work by the team. Well, geez, I got to tell you, a lot
2: of people were concerned that maybe there would even be a guide down. Clearly, not the case. Uh, in a tough world, you guys continue to deliver. Chuck Robbins, CEO and Cisco, of Cisco Systems, and Kelly Kramer, CFO of Cisco Systems. Thank you so much, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Good
5: Jim.
2: Job. Mad Money's back after the break.
0: Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work, impending deadline.
2: With the trade war raging, it's tempting to try to get a better read on China, right? I mean, when you see the Chinese government numbers like the disappointing industrial production and the retail sales figures we got just last night, I mean, it, it, it's to assume they're not up for a trade war. Sooner or later, they have to capitulate. But then you look at this morning's release from Alibaba, the Chinese uh, gigantic company, which gave you blockbuster set of numbers, including 51 percent revenue growth. And it seems like the Chinese consumer is doing just fine using their Amazon. So which set of numbers do you trust? How can you tell if China's really feeling the pain from these Trump tariffs? Here's my advice. Just don't do it. You can try to game China, but it's a mug's game. These Chinese statistics are like opium, and we need to stop smoking them. Why? Because the Chinese Communist Party doesn't care about this data. I think you're being very optimistic if you assume the figures they release to the public are accurate. I mean, it's a one-party state, for heaven's sake. Their government has every incentive to put its thumb on the scales. So when they release bad industrial production and retail numbers, shouldn't we presume the real numbers are actually a lot worse? Either way, you're not getting an accurate picture. And this simply isn't what the Chinese government is responding to. You know who else doesn't care about this data? President Trump, he's already decided the Chinese economy is failing. He'll say it endlessly, regardless of the facts on the ground. Hey, remember the failing New York Times? That stock's doubled. So what? It's failing, right? That's what he does. What what does matter then? Well, let me put it this way. China uses all these unfair trade practices because they benefit Chinese businesses. Now, the White House wants them to restructure vast swaths of their economy or else. But the hardliners in the Communist Party would rather take the pain of Trump's tariffs than make these changes. They think a stalemate is better than a trade deal where they need to make too many concessions. As long as the hardliners hold sway in China, President Trump is going to slap tariffs on everything from China. Remember, the White House is happy with a stalemate too. It means we collect $100 billion in tariff revenue every year. You hear him talk about that. He loves that. So any company that relies on China either as an end market for their growth or as a manufacturing base, will be a loser. It doesn't matter, by the way, that President Trump says he likes President Xi. It doesn't matter that some of the minions want to make a deal. Right now, both sides think it's in their best interest to wait this out rather than coming to the table. I think Trump believes the harder he is on China, the more he will crush any Democratic candidate running. He's not the least bit concerned that prices for consumers might go higher because no one's squawking about it except the economists who come on TV. Trump, not the economists, could be right. Employment's so strong it might not matter. So you should prepare yourself because when Trump rolls out his next set of tariffs, as no, so I said, when, not if, the market will get hit. And I bet it happens sooner Uh, than you think, especially because how well received today was the news about he may not put new tariffs on imported cars from Europe and Japan. That could go far toward the old dream Chief Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow have of creating a coalition of the willing to cordon China until it cleans up its act. Finally, we know Trump thrives on conflict. He's going to make you want to sell any stock that's reliant on China in any way. That's right. Any stock. And that's why companies that move their operations out of China will get higher price earnings multiples than companies that stay. Companies have middlemen like China, like uh, with Cisco, it won't hurt them. If you have a lot, you're going to get crushed. So forget the data. Both Trump and the Chinese Communist Party have the same attitude toward this stuff. They don't need no stinking numbers. And honestly, as easy as it would be to make fun of both sides for embracing alternative facts, I mean, it is, all these are alternative facts, it kind of makes sense that Trump wants to use the trade war to win re-election, and she can't be seen giving in to America, or the Politburo might decide to replace him. Judging by Trump's more bellicose and, yes, canny ways, he may bring them to the table just before the tariffs on $300 billion more imported goods get slapped on. But believe me, he has convinced his base, and now far more than his base, that tariffs against the Chinese are good for this country. And the Chinese, I don't think they will know what hit him. Let's talk to David in Indiana. David. Booyah, Mr. Kramer from Newburgh, Indiana. A uh, longtime watcher, remember you from the Cudlow and Kramer days, reading your book, Get Rich, Stay Rich. Thank you. Just mention Larry. You know, Larry's got that coalition of willing going again maybe to try to stop China. How can I help you? Well,
6: on Monday's show, uh, you were discussing the effects of the Chinese tariffs on several uh, American products, one of which was natural gas. Uh, right. You indicated that uh, there's such a demand for natural gas, uh, then that there's not going to be any more supply coming on so that they, we would Stop selling to natural gas to the Chinese and instead sell that elsewhere. Well, with the rules of supply and demand, uh, I was wondering why the price of natural gas and the natural gas stock prices, the companies that sell natural gas, their stock prices is below the 2018 highs.
2: Well, uh, the price of natural gas is the country's lowest basically it's ever been. Uh, It costs It's better to flare it than produce it, and that's why it's so good to have an export market. We have unbelievably low natural gas uh, prices in this country, and that's why the stocks are doing poorly, even though there's demand overseas. All right, guys, forget the numbers. Our president has decided that China is failing, and he will never relent. Much more man, buddy ahead. It's a company beating tech giants like Apple, Google, and Amazon in the streaming media device wars. So is it worth considering the stock of Roku? I'm talking totally the CEO, That it's a company leading the fight against high prescription drug costs. And it's number six on CNBC's Disruptor list. I've got the exclusive, and it is really exciting. And all your calls are rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
5: This year, Roku has given investors quite a show, as cords are cut and content streams to new destinations. Should home gamers stream to a stock that entertains ideas about the future of media?
2: When a red-hot stock is a learning a lesson, here appears to cool down. Sometimes this really catches breath before the next leg higher. I want you to look at Roku, the TV streaming pioneer, to have one of the best performing stocks in the market since his IPO in 2017, including a major move last week. Reason Roku has transformed itself into more than just a gadget. They started licensing their technology to television manufacturers. Do you know that now their platform comes pre-installed in a third of all smart TVs? That's why I got a lot more bullish on this one in January and February when it's trading in the 40s. But after big run up to the mid-70s in March, stock kind of stalled out. Roku stabilized in the high 50s last month, and that's where it stayed until last week. And that's when the company reported a true blowout quarter. Spectacular top and bottom line beat. Raised guidance significantly, throwing the fact there were tons of short sellers, wrong short sellers, of course, betting it this one. yet yeah, a recipe for spectacular rally. This stock folded 28% in a single session just last Thursday. Alright, so let's pull back a little bit and sell it further this week. It's already rebounded to the low 80s. Could it have more upside? Let's check in with a very exciting man, Anthony Wood. He's the founder chairman and CEO of Roku. Get a better read on this amazing quarter and what it means for the future of his company. Mr. Wood, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, sir.
7: Thank you. It's great okay. to be here.
2: How did you do it? I mean, you had a platform revenue increase of 79%. There was a time when you didn't even have platform revenue.
7: Yeah. I mean, of course, Roku's business is being the TV streaming platform in the living room. And and really our job number one is to build scale of active accounts. We do that through selling players. We license the TV companies. There's Roku TVs in the market. And then we monetize those active accounts through advertising. We're a large streaming advertising uh, platform. Mm -hmm. We help our partners who are launching a lot of new streaming services. We help them build audience for their their services. And, of course, Uh, we get paid for distribution as well. So all those businesses, I mean, streaming is very popular right now, and it's more popular than ever. We had almost 3 million people cut the cord last year, a million last quarter alone. So, you know, there's a lot of momentum behind streaming.
2: All right, so let's say Bob Iger wants to do
7: Disney Plus and Hulu. I mean, aren't you the man to see if you want to have big numbers? Yeah, I mean, when these there's a lot of new streaming services launch. I mean, the Disney service obviously is getting a lot of press. Apple made a big announcement. Uh, both of those services have said they expect to be on Roku. And, you know, I think that those kinds of services coming to streaming, it just brings even more people to streaming. And, of course, we're a great partner. We can really help those companies uh, build scale if they want to use some of the marketing techniques we have on our platform.
2: The uh, $3 million cord cut is rather dramatic. Uh who are these people? Uh, I know that you are the cord never company too. Who are these people who are cutting the cord? Who are the ones who are not taking it? And what draws them to you, price versus cable?
7: Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously a lot of people are cutting the cord or, or even, you know, are never signing up for cable. the traditional cable packages these days. Uh, and they do it for two reasons. Of course, there's it's, it's le- less expensive, right. and it's, it's better experience and more, more choice. So half of Roku's uh, customers, uh, don't have a pay TV subscription, and the other half, you know, they're a combination of streamers and traditional pay TV subscribers. Uh, how do they skew? Because, for instance, let's say I like to watch news.
2: Uh, can I get a just a news channel on Roku? I think a lot of males would like to do that. I mean, what is the average person who has a Roku, and what do they want? And can we have
7: a curated news like Apple, or at least something just dedicated to us? There's, there's, uh, there's lots of different choice when it comes to to entertainment or news on Roku, ABC News, uh, NBC, you know, has news channels. So there's there's a wide variety and uh, there's just lots of different different options, including including news.
2: All right. So give me the price differential between, uh, let's say, my daughter who cut the darn cord and has Roku Roku, and what I pay on
7: average uh, with my cable bill. Sure. Well, and it's about your, your first question about who who are these yeah. people. It's it's Americans. Like every, It's pretty much a broad-based demographic. David,
2: come on. Like the older people, we're used
7: to paying the bill. We don't know what a cord cut is. <laughs> you know, some older people are cheap. And they they want to save money, so you know there's and that's a big big driver to cord cutters. People want to save money. People, it's easy as well. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things about Roku is we we have succeeded by building a great user interface, making it super easy to use. And you know, for regular Americans, it's, it's an easy way uh, to watch to watch I, TV. Uh, look, I work for Comcast. Uh,
2: Comcast has got a new device coming. It's pretty exciting. Uh, are they frenemy? I mean, at what point does the cable company just say, you know what? I can't. I, I got to stop Roku.
7: You know, I think the I think the media industry r- really. I mean, back back when we launched Roku uh, ten years ago, it was just Netflix, and I think the I think most entertainment companies are really trying to just avoid streaming these days. I think everyone's realized it's it's the future, and they're they're heavily invested. And when it comes to Comcast. They're are an important partner. Uh, f- first, they they advertise on the Roku platform because okay. we have a lot of broadband. I mean, everyone has a Roku is, has a broadband subscription. Uh, there's the Xfinity app on Roku, uh, which lets you watch. If you have a Comcast subscription, you can watch it on. Uh, and of course, NBC product. content's available mm-hmm. on Roku. So, uh, so they're you know all the media companies are, are important partners to us these days.
2: How important is uh, programming? So you have uh, Game of Thrones, a national sensation.
7: Do you see a, a spike in Roku because of Game of Thrones? Absolutely. I mean, what, the content is what drives streaming, right. and um, and a choice of content. Uh, you know, you asked how much does it cost to stream on Roku? Right. You know, it 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 can be free. I mean, we have a lot of free content, right. so you can buy a twenty nine dollars Roku streaming player. You can. Cut the cord, and you can watch a lot of free content if that's what you want to do. Or you can pay a little bit and get Netflix or Amazon, or you know, you get to decide how much you want to pay as a customer. Wait,
2: let's talk about what a lot of people miss, including me. And when I started looking at Roku before the '40s, which I missed a considerable amount, my bad. I heard that every—I mean, I heard Amazon was going to destroy you. I heard that Google was going to destroy you. I heard the cables going to destroy you. It's kind of like PayPal. Everyone was going to destroy you. What happened? How did we get it wrong? Was wait were we not paying attention? Were the whole time? you shifting more to software what happened and there are still people getting it wrong and i can't believe that anyone's listening to them because it's just not the company we thought it is
7: you know if you look at if you look at the emergence of new computing platforms like when when windows became the most popular platform on PCs it was a new operating system you know a new computing platform PCs new operating system then phones became an, a computing platform and windows is not running probably on your phone today it's no. it's android or ios right. so so because they were purpose built for those computing platforms, and for TV, Roku is the number one streaming platform in the country. Because we have built a purpose built operating system for TV. You know, it's designed specifically for TV. It's designed for the business model of TV. It's just better for TV. And people, people, this pattern happens every time. And we have the only purpose built operating system. And, for TV. and can
2: you build skinny bundles again? Something like news? Can I get some really
7: refined, smaller one? you know what i think i think we believe that all television is going to be streamed so we don't really try and do anything around that that's just happening right what we do is try and build the best operating system for televisions the best experience for content partners for advertisers and for users in the living room and that's that's our well, focus your
2: remarkable obsession with giving the customer what they want has created a juggernaut. Congratulations to you, Anthony. That's Anthony Wood. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Roku. Thank heavens. Thank heavens. At least I didn't miss the last 40 points like everybody else. Man, money's back into the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, dad. It's for the lightning round. Let's go to Sal in Texas. Sal. yeah, Dr. Kramer. How you doing today? I like that. I like your spirit. What's going on? Hey, man. Um, the stock I'm calling about has been living in the house of pain. At roughly $39 a share, is it time to buy me some slumber, jay? Uh, you know, like Misery does not love company. My Chapel Trust owns it. It yields 5%. Willing to sit tight. But what a disappointment it's been. I don't want you in my own house of pain. I say you go and, let's say, be in BP. At least it's got a better yield and some growth. How about Jim in Florida?
5: Jim! I'd like to thank my mother for introducing me to her stockbroker 55 years ago at age 13. And to you, Jim, for your continued education and advice. Most recently, Twilio.
7: But oh, Dr. man, we got to
2: stick with Twilio. We love Lawson. He's doing great. Let's go to work together. What do we have?
7: PBF Energy. PBF Energy.
5: They, um, they uh, I know it, it, for it's
2: for- a local company for me. I, I don't really see. It's just not in the league. It's not in the league. I mean, if you go there, go with Chevron. I'm going to have to say no to PBF Energy. I'm sorry, but I like your comments. They're very sweet. Let's go to Art in South Carolina.
7: Art! Jim, I'm calling about applied materials. I started buying AMAT from November 17th through September 2018. You no longer seem to recommend applied materials. How about switching it, it, into Avago yeah. or Lamb Research or NVIDIA?
2: Well, I, I happen to, look, a. Matt, wants some orders. got a very big, very hard push this morning from a brokerage house. That's why it was up 3%. I prefer Lamb because I like this fellow Archer who runs it. So my advice is well, that both are going to do well, but I think Lamb has more upside. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Mr. Kramer, a big, sunny Naples, Florida booyah to you. Yeah, we'll take a look where we are, booyah. Can't even be Back absurd, in June for him of say. 2014, you gave me the okay to, to buy more shares of a company called Amerigas, which I did. Now it's being bought out by UGI. I'm looking at a replacement stock called TGPT. TGP uh, No, no, Cara. way too dangerous. Targa's way too dangerous. I do not like the fact that that yield is high is not a good sign. I don't want you to buy Targa. I need you to be in something more conservative. If you want yield, I'd rather see you in Chevron. Okay, let's go to Manny in Washington. Manny! Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you, Manny? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. Just wondering about HPQ. What's your take on that? You know what? There's just massive headwinds right now. Uh, I don't think that this is the time. I think we need one more quarter. I think John is doing a fantastic job. I just can't recommend it yet. I need to see a better quarter than the last one. Now we're going to go to Doug in California. Doug!
5: Booyah, Jimmy Kramer! All all right, man. What's up? Love your show, man. Hey, uh, this stock has gotten beaten down pretty good. I'm starting to look to maybe take a position in it. It's MNK, Malinkrot.
2: No, keep look, do but don't do. I mean, come on, we're high-quality people. We're people who like Merck. We're people who like Bristol Mars. We're not gonna go down the food chain to Malinkrot. I'd say no on that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen,
5: inclusion of the
2: Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: years ago, there was a widespread belief that technology could solve all our problems. These days we know it's a lot more complicated, but every time I come out here to San Francisco, I feel a newfound sense of optimism. Take drug pricing. We spend a fortune on medication in America, more per capita than any other country. And while high drug prices are often justified, sometimes they're downright predatory. The problem? There's no transparency in our healthcare system. Very easy to get rip-buffing around the prices of anything. Which brings me to GoodRx, the privately held company with an incredible app that lets you comparison shop for prescription drugs. These guys are number six on CNBC's annual Disruptor 50 list of revolutionary startups. GoodRx has a fabulous database of pricing information across various pharmacies, while it allows their average customer to get this to save $276 a year on prescriptions. I use it. I save a lot more than that. Turns out some drug stores charge a lot more than others in the same darn area. Best of all, the service, totally free. You don't even need to set up an account. They make their money via advertisements and referral fees. They don't know. They don't share your private information. By the way, it's not just for humans. These guys can help you save money on drugs for your pets, too. And, no, there's often no insurance for pets. I think this company is a potential game changer. So let's take a closer look with Doug Hirsch. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of GoodRx. To learn more about his company and what it means for the pharmacy business, Mr. Hirsch, welcome to Mad Money. Doug, I have to tell you, as a user of your product, I'm going to jump right in. I didn't think it was possible. I mean, I sound like one of those infomercials. I did not think it was possible to cut a prescription cost by four-fifths but you did it. Just tell me the journey of how you got to this point and how you can possibly get these breaks. It's amazing.
6: Most Americans don't realize that they can shop around for health care. We assume that we walk up to the pharmacy counter and the person in the white coat types something in a computer and the price you get is the price you get. But <laughs> yes. the reality is health healthcare is like any other industry. There's all sorts of room for people to save if they know where to go. But how'd you
2: find out? Well,
6: we, I didn't know. I walked into a pharmacy and got sticker shock and took my prescription back and went to a few other pharmacies and realized there was a big price difference. And there were all these amazing ways for consumers to save.
2: Okay, I found out about you and many others did this in York Times article. I had mentioned yours. I clicked on the link uh, and, and it's a coupon system. Explain why anyone has to take these coupons and how you really do beat, you really beat the system with this. So first of all,
6: insurance is not what it used to be, right? <laughs> I can remember the days of the $10 copay and I didn't yeah. have to worry about it. And insurance, as you know, is covering less and less and deductibles right. are going up and people could pay thousands of dollars for a drug. Well, it turns out what we call coupons are really relationships between insurance companies, we call them PBMs, and pharmacies, which allow a consumer who doesn't have insurance, who isn't using insurance, to get a discounted price. And what GoodRx did is we brought all of them together. We have literally billions of prices in our database and put them all together and said, what's the best option? It might be your insurance, but it might not.
2: You know, uh, why would CVS or Walgreens uh, bother? Why don't they just tell Duggars, "Uh, we're not the least bit interested in your plan and we're not going to help you? You know, we have a great
6: relationship with both CVS and Walgreens because they actually want consumers to get an affordable price for their drug. You know, When you walk into a CVS and they say it's going to be $2,000, they don't want it to be $2,000, and they know that most Americans can't afford that, but because of the complicated nature of our system, they can't just discount it on their own. They need to work with insurance companies, need to work with people like us to come up with a price so that they can, again, provide an affordable price to a consumer and at the same time be able to make some money.
2: But you're not Robin Hood. How do you make
6: money? So we work with uh, all the major pharmacies. We make money a few different ways. We have a subscription product called GoodRx Gold, which allows people to get even lower prices. And we also make some referral fees and we have some advertising at various places on the site. But we always start from the premise of whatever's best for the consumer is what we're going to show them first. Okay,
2: so when we hear about runaway healthcare
6: costs and runaway drug costs, aren't you kind of the answer to that? I'd like to be for all of healthcare, not just prescriptions. Um, really, because we don't know how any how what anything costs. I know. I mean, that's the craziest thing. Imagine any other industry. Imagine you. You know, we trying to buy a TV, and we said we don't know what it costs. Find out the counter. But you I'm not saying
2: you <laughs> yeah. need a new knee. Could right. you help me?
6: We are working on that. Are you it's really? hard. It's hard. You know, one of the great things about prescriptions is you buy them in a retail environment, right? right? You know what it's called, kind of, and you don't really worry about it if you have to go from pharmacy to pharmacy. It gets a little harder when someone's putting a knife in your knee. So True. you want to make
2: sure it's someone that's good. How many uh, people do you think know about GoodRx now versus your goal, say, a year or two from now? About 10 million people use guter every so month. bad.
6: Yeah, about half of U.S. doctors actually recommend us because they want their patients to take the meds they prescribe. Uh, but we have a ways to go. We think we impact about 1 to 2% of U.S. prescriptions. Wow. So we got a long way to go
2: to help all Americans. I don't think people realize how many, uh, let's say, people you're keeping from bankruptcy. It is the single most uh, uh, salient reason why people go
6: bankrupt. Yeah. That's true. I mean, most American, the average American has less than $400 in savings, and the average deductible now is over $1,500. So that means most Americans will literally go bankrupt before they can actually afford to get coverage from their insurance. So we're in this crazy situation where people just don't take their drugs. And of course, that leads to bigger problems when Americans actually can't afford their drugs, don't
2: take them, and then they end up in the hospital. Now, uh, I'm looking at you, I'm listening to what you're doing, and I'm saying, I know Doug Hurst working at Yahoo 23 years ago when you and I worked together. Give me the journey to you realize, because this company is now backed by Silver Lake, it's number six on our list, it is a way to be able to change the healthcare system. How did you, we, you go from dot .com to this?
6: I've always been attracted to messy problems that we can solve somehow. You know, in Yahoo's case, they were organizing the internet. In Facebook's case, where I work, we were trying to organize social relationships. And then I just looked around and said, wow, this is amazing. When I searched Google for drug prices, nothing showed up. And I thought, wow, that's <laughs> really messy. Maybe I can clean that up somehow. No, is there anyone out there to stop you? Does someone want to try to stop you? I mean, no. Some of these drug companies, don't they make less money? We, uh, To be honest, we get along great with both drug companies and farms. I know it sounds crazy. Did you broker
0: these deals? We always
6: (laughs) think that there's
2: boogeymen. There's someone out there trying to hurt us.
6: Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to communicate with patients. Everyone wants to be able to uh, tell them about their information, and we are that place now. You know, people come to us, 10 million people a month, and we work to react. Anyone who can help us lower drug prices, we'll work with. Um, do,
2: do you work with teledoc? Do you work with these other systems that we think are also saving the saving the money for the entire healthcare uh, universe? We do. We've recently started to list online
6: telemedicine options as well, so that you can get a prescription via GoodRx as well. Uh, and so we're working with a number of different providers uh, anywhere anyone across the health ecosystem that can help Americans save, we'll put it on GoodRx.
2: Well, I got to congratulate you I, as again as someone who uses it, you saved me. I don't even want to reveal how much, but it's but you. I, I know that the more people I talk. to, they're all doing the same thing. And I'm so glad you came on the show because I want everyone to use your service because it's the best way to beat the system and be- best way to be able to make it so you're still solvent because so many drugs wipe out so many people. Doug Hirsch, co-founder and co-CEO, GoodRx, number six on CNBC's Disruptor list. And you know what? I we ask people about their purpose at the end of it in interviews. How about the whole purpose, which is to save people money? Thank you. market loves a coalition of the willing. They want Europe and Japan to unite with U.S. against China. Could it happen? I don't know, but the
5: market sure thinks it can.
2: Like I said, there's always a market somewhere. I promise i find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I will see you tomorrow!
5: How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.